get beside me. I want you to love me. I'm surprised that you never been told before that you're lovely and you're perfect and that somebody wants you. Fascinating new thing you've seen making. A temporary savior. Fascinating new thing. Don't betray them by becoming familiar. I'm surprised that you've never been told before that you're lovely and you're perfect and that somebody. Exciting time of my life. Every single time we start a new message series, I am so ridiculously stoked. It is beyond belief. I encourage you guys, grab more of those cards, go ahead and hand them out, take them to the college, take them to your place of work, take them to see your friends. If you have no friends, make new friends and give them those cards. Everyone has friends. Julie will be your friend, if nothing else. So welcome tonight, and uh, I just want to get right into this because I really don't know how long this message will take, hopefully not too long, but here's the deal. Tonight we start um, a three-part series. And uh, a very interesting one at that, you've obviously heard the title because you've been part of giving out uh, pieces of paper. And for those of you guys who haven't heard the title, it is, You Are Worth More Than Many Sparrows. I know a lot of you are thinking, well, what does that have to do with me whatsoever? But it really does, and we're going to really focus on that for these next three weeks. Here's the reality of the situation, is that in this world today, uh, people have really kind of fallen into this trap. The world has really become this place where everyone is about me and myself, and they kind of forget about everyone else. They kind of um, just become so uber-selfish that they really don't even care to look outside of their own little circle of life to see what someone else's life is about. It becomes this place where um, the world really tells you that unless you're at this certain level or you're this certain person, you really aren't worth much. Um, really when you walk around the world, you'll find quite frequently, and I'm sure you guys as well, there are very few people who are willing to actually share life with you, and there are very few people who are actually willing to love freely, not without some sort of cost. People will love you, but normally with some sort of cost attached, won't they? If it suits them, and if it benefits them, but rarely if it's just because they want to show you love. It doesn't happen. We've seen over time, and really we're part of this generation, is a place where people have fallen into this rut so many times and taken place with this so many times it's become a reality that we see the effects of this in our own lives that people don't even feel that they're worth anything anymore. They're really not worth anything at all. You have proof of this in the drug addict who no longer cares about what their body is like. They'll destroy their own life their own body, um, just to get that high, to feel better. You see it in women who will sell their bodies for $20 on a street corner. 
an amazing prize that someone is supposed to enjoy to some day together in marriage, something very beautiful, and it's sold for a $20 bill. We see it in people who take their own lives because they're in such deep, dark depression where they feel like their, work, their, their life is never going to amount to anything, their life is never going to go anywhere, and really they are in just a pit of worthlessness, and they take their own lives. We've seen this time and time again. People who feel that their life is absolutely worth nothing, and they lose that sense that they're actually worth something, that their life is worth something. So this series is really about this. Um, that really you are actually worth something. You are not worthless. You're not just something, but you're actually worth a whole lot, believe it or not. Even though you might not feel that way, you're worth a lot. Um, over these next three weeks, we will look at how you're worth God's care, God's love, and God's trouble. And by the end of this, I pray that we actually begin to understand how much we are worth how much we truly cost, how much we're actually worth in God's eyes, and just what we should think of ourselves, that we shouldn't be maybe so just flip with what we think we're worth, but we actually should find ourselves as a prize. So over these next three weeks, I hope you really see that through God's eyes. I hope you really see that through um, the time we spend together, the time in temptation teams where we get to talk in small groups, where we really start to focus in on that. So tonight we talk about the first of these, and it's called um, You Are Worth His Care. Uh, the whole entire three-part series comes from Luke, if you guys have your Bible and you want to turn there. It comes from Luke 12, 4 through 7. And you can feel free to get there, and you can leave your Bible open to that, because it's a good thing to look at as I go through this message. Not only that, but <clears throat> I want to tell you that you should begin to read this a few times. Go ahead, go home, underline, put a mark next to it, and read it again. And read it again. Because over the next three weeks, this is really going to become our bread and butter for what we're talking about. It's going to be the centerpiece. It's going to be where we find our inspiration for where we're going in this. And it's really going to be um, integral. So read over this and look at what it says a few times. Here's what it says, uh, Luke 12, 4 through 7. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after killing the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows where we get our title, and where we will work from for these next three weeks. With this, like I said a few minutes ago, as kind of the intro to the entire series, people rarely will ever give you the time of day, will ever lend a hand to help. We find this quite easily. Um, walk down the hallway and drop your books. And when someone actually stops and helps you, doesn't it kind of seem like a rarity? Like you're really surprised that someone would actually stop, bend over, help you pick up your books and help you out. It's rare anymore these days. People aren't nice. They'll walk right past you, step on your math homework, and just keep on walking. Not care one bit. That's the reality of the situation. And when I heard this, um, when, I was, when I was reading this section, and when I was thinking about this, it reminded me actually of a story uh, also in Luke 
uh, about a good Samaritan. If you remember a story, there's this guy, and he gets robbed, and he gets beat up and left on the side of the road, and he's really badly injured. The Bible says it like the guy's not moving. Like he's just laying there in pain, and he's hurt. Naked, probably. A lot of times back then, they'd steal your clothes because your clothes were actually worth something. Nowadays, everyone has clothes, but probably stripped him naked, took all of his stuff. And um, one person walks by, another person walks by, or they talk about as, you know, a devout person, and he just walks on by. But the third guy, when he walks by, he stops and he picks the man up. He carries him into town. He takes him to an inn, and he puts him in a room. He helps dress his wounds. He helps clean them. Then he goes down to the front desk, and he says, you know what, I have to keep on going because I can't just stop here. I, I have business to do. But he gives him money and says, when the guy wakes, anything that he needs, you go ahead and take care of it. Here's money down front in advance for him. And Jesus uses this as a parable where he says, I tell you, which one of these men was his neighbor? The person really who helped him out. And he says, well, obviously the guy who took him and did all these things. And he says, right. There's so, many, um, there's so few people like this who would actually help like that today. And um, in this verse, we kind of get clued into um, the awesomeness of what being in God's care is really about. As we look at this in verse 5, go ahead and look at that real quick once again. He says, but I will show you who you should fear. Fear him who after killing of the body has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. It gives a picture of this God that should really not be messed with. He says, man, don't even worry about the people who threaten your life. You should fear the man that after you die can kill you again, forever and ever. That's scary. That's frightening. I was just having a conversation with my friend, and I said, you know what's crazy is I have been a Christian for years, and when I read that verse, I'm still scared. That's still frightening to me because of how much power that is. That's not light. That's not flippant. That's not something that you can just read and go on from. Even if you believe in Jesus Christ, you think, wow, that's frightening to think that someone has the power to condemn my soul to an eternity of death. This amazing, hardcore God who has so much power, but then in the very next section, sentences right after that, we see that he cares for us. They talk about this crazy God that has the right to take and condemn you to eternal death. But then just a sentence afterwards, it starts saying, but he cares for you. He knows the number of hairs that are on your head. And he says, you know, he doesn't even, he, he's not so big and bad that he doesn't even pay attention to a few sparrows that would drop from the sky. And he says, so why would you worry? Because you're worth a lot more than sparrows. This crazy, awesome, strong God actually cares about us individually. And that's amazing. We are worth more than many sparrows to this God. Um, that's so scary. What this is proving is that, in fact, actually, we do have worth. You know, we just talked about people feel like they don't have worth. Um, if you or anyone else has ever thought that you're worth nothing, some people might say, you ever heard that comment, you know, you're worthless. Or you might think to yourself, man, I'm just worthless. It just so happens that the most awesome power in the universe begs to differ in this very sentence right here. He says, I don't think so. And he proves the fact that he actually does think you're worth something. So as I look at this section, there's a few different things. And right out of this, we're taking the next three messages. But when we first look at it, the thing that I saw is kind of the 
the most basic way you can interpret this. When you read over scripture, you can look at it a lot of different ways. But if you just read over this and you really didn't read anything else into it, but you just kind of read over this little section, a little bit around it, don't just read one little section in the Bible, but read before it and after it. What I really feel that this section, first and foremost, is about is that you are worth God's care. In other words, his providence, his taking care of you, actually working to help you. That's really what I see out of it. They're really the most straightforward concept within this verse. So right here before these words, we actually hear that he's saying, don't worry about those who are trying to kill you. And then actually, just a little bit after, in verse 11 through 12, if you guys look ahead just a little bit, it says, when you're brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at the time what you should say. So before and after this, he says, don't worry. That's really the bookends to this statement about God caring for us. He says, you're worth more than many sparrows. And he says, don't worry and don't worry. Now, why would God not want us to worry? What does that mean? What does that have affect to us? He says he doesn't want us to worry. Now, you think that's possibly because he doesn't want us to get wrinkles above our forehead? When you worry, you do this, right? You get those wrinkles. Or possibly he doesn't want us to worry because if you worry too much, you can get an ulcer. Ooh. Ew. Ulcer. Not fun. Painful. Very painful. Very hard. Maybe that's why he's saying it, right? That he's saying don't worry because, you know, it's not good for you. I don't think so, actually. Um, that could be part of it. God probably doesn't want you to have an ulcer. Maybe. You have to take that up with him. I'm not sure about that. But maybe, just maybe, God is trying to tell us that we aren't supposed to worry because he's got our back. Maybe that's really why he's saying it. He's saying, don't worry because I've got you covered. I'm looking out for you. Maybe that's really what he's trying to say when he says that you're worth something, is that he's right there with you. God is saying that he is here to help you out and take care of you even when no one else wants to, even when no one else will that he's going to be the one who's going to be there for you, who's going to be ready to help out. Perhaps one of the very best verses that I can find to back this up as you read through the Bible, and it actually fits in so darn well to what we're talking about because it mentions birds in this, which, you know, our whole entire worth more than many sparrows. Awesome. It's actually in Matthew 6, and I'm going to read it for you in the message. And it's, it's um, verses 25 through 34. So there's a little bit of a section here. But this, this goes precisely along with what we're just saying, that God's got your back and he's really taking care of you. It says, if you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes on your closet are fashion. There is far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more than the outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God, and you count far more to him than birds. Has anyone by fussing in front of the mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion, do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out in the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop, but have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The ten best-dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside of them. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, 
don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But, don't, but you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire t- attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the times come. That's an awesome verse. Seriously, I read that and I'm just like, oh, dude, that's so cool. I love the fact that it also says, you know, look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God, and you count far more than birds. Works pretty good with you're worth more than many sparrows, obviously. I love this verse because it is a beautiful description of how much God loves us and how he loves us as well. It's an awesome picture of his care. Like I said, that you are worth his care. And he shows it in this. Um, he's talking about all these things that people worry about, that you've got to be fashionable, you've got to look really good, and you've got to be able to stand out. And he says, you know, God designed the flowers, and he says, look at how, how beautiful they are. And people, I mean, are absolutely awed by what nature has in it. And he says, you know, they just disappear. God puts so much into those. And he says, don't you think that if you call yourself God's, that he's going to take and put the same into you? even more so because you're actually special to him, you're worth more than that? He says, don't you think if these, if these birds can just go about, they don't care, they don't worry about what they're going to bring home, what they're going to eat the next day, they don't worry about um, getting a bigger nest, you know, or flying on cooler wings or nothing like that like we do. And he says they're just careless in the care of God. And he says, don't you think you're worth more than those birds? See, it kind of reveals something interesting, doesn't it? Is that really, even if we don't think that we do, we find ourselves as worthless, don't we? Even if really when I gave you that whole entire beginning description about worthlessness, you say, well, that's not me. I'm not that woman selling my body. I'm not that guy on drugs. I'm not that person. And I really find myself to be quite worth a lot. But when we look at it like this, we find out that really we must not think we're worth much. At least we're not worth much to God. Because we feel that we've got to fight for all these different things, that God would never be so nice as to bless us with these things. The Bible says the exact opposite. It says that we are worth all of that and more, worth more than the birds and worth more than the grass, and God will take care of us. I really love this, because God isn't just saying, don't worry about what you're going to eat because he wants you to starve to death. He's saying, don't worry about what you're going to eat because you're worth it to him, to provide food and clothes and necessities to keep you going. You're worth it. I love this too because it's not ridiculously super spiritual. What I mean by that is it's not just about how God's going to provide like himself to you or going to provide, you know, like different things like the really super spiritual. They're talking about basic needs. He's talking about food. He's talking about clothes. The very basics of what we live on. And he's saying God's going to take care of those. It's not trying to apply it from a different thing. Like um, people use Luke 11 sometimes, talking about prayer and asking and knocking. And it says that if you seek, you shall receive. And it's talking about, really, when he says that God gives great gifts, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. 
people try to apply it to other things, you know, by just keep on asking God for that Porsche Boxster. Sooner or later, he's going to hear it and he's going to bless me, right? They try to apply it to that. But really what's amazing is this scripture right here, I'm not trying to apply it in any wrong way. This is exactly what God's saying, is that if you count on God for these things, he's actually going to take care of you in them. He's going to provide ways. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, you should just sit around and God's going to magically make a sweater appear. I'm saying that you say, God, I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet, and God provides you a job. He provides you a way. God has blessed people in crazy ways. People who, I mean, like, you know, can't make the ends meet, and somehow it all works out. God will do it. But like I said, he's talking about the everyday, common needs, food, clothes, etc. And really what I love about this is, not many people are going to tell you this, but this is God's heart. It is God's heart to apply this very spiritual love on a very, very earthly way to each and every one of us. Absolutely, as we read through the Bible. Absolutely. Not many people would see this, but it's the truth. God does this time and time again. I see a great picture of this, and you guys don't have to turn there because I'm going to read it for you. And it might take you a little bit anyway. Exodus 16. And I'm going to read it to you in the message. If you guys know any of the background of this, this is right after Moses, who saw the burning bush. God told him to go into Egypt, take all of the people back out of there, tell Pharaoh to let his people go, and take them back across. At this point, we'll rejoin them in Exodus 16. They had already had a lot of crazy things happen. They are now across um, the river, and they are on their own. So let's start from there. It is actually 1 through 16, and like I said, I'm going to read it to you in the message. It says, On the 15th day of the second month, after they had left Egypt, the whole company of Israel moved on from Elam to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. The whole company of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron there in the wilderness. The Israelites said, Why didn't God let us die in comfort in Egypt, where we had lamb stew and all the bread we could eat? You've brought us out into this wilderness to starve us to death, the whole company of Israel. God said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread down from the skies on you. The people will go out and gather each day's ration. I'm going to test them to see if they'll live according to my teachings or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they have gathered, it will turn out to be twice as much as their daily ration. In other words, they're not supposed to gather on the seventh day because it is the Sabbath. They're supposed to gather before, and it will turn out to be twice as much so that they don't have to gather on the Sabbath and break God's rules. Moses and Aaron told the people of Israel, that evening, this evening, you will know that it is God who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of God. Yes, he's listened to your complaints against him. You haven't complained against us, you know, but against God. Moses said, Since it will be God who gives you meat for your meal in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning, it's God who who will have listened to your complaints against him. Who are we in all of this? You haven't been complaining to us. You've been complaining to God. Moses says, You think you're yelling at me. You're yelling at God, so he's going to have to take care of it. Moses instructed Aaron, Tell the whole company of Israel, Come near to God. He's heard your complaints. When Aaron gave out the instruction to the whole company of Israel, they turned to face the wilderness, and there it was, the glory of God, visible in the cloud. God spoke to Moses, I've listened to the complaints of the Israelites. Now tell them, at dusk you will eat meat, and at dawn you will eat your fill of bread, and you'll realize that I am God, your God. 
That evening, quail flew in and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew all over the camp. When the layer of dew had lifted, there on the wilderness ground was a fine flaky something, fine as frost on the ground. The Israelites took one, took one look and said to one another, Man, huh, what is it? That's what it means. They had no idea what it was, so Moses told them, It's the bread God has given you to eat. And these are God's instructions. Gather enough for each person, about two quarts per person. Gather enough for everyone in your tent. So, as I kind of made the situation before, if you guys know the story, you don't. Here's what happened. Um, Moses come into Egypt. He goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, yeah, right. I've got a sweet deal working out. These guys work for free, and they build my temple. So Moses says, all right, and he basically calls on the power of God. Moses didn't do any of this. God sends a whole slew of crazy, crazy, um, I mean, just, there's frogs. There's all these different plagues that come in. Literally at the end, God sends a plague that kills every firstborn. That's hardcore, that God does this. And after this, Pharaoh finally realizes there is no point messing with these Israelites because their God is way too powerful. And he says, you know what, go ahead and go. God takes them out of this place of slavery, brings them down to the Jordan River, and about now Pharaoh realized the fact that he made a big mistake. He's angry about the fact that they're leaving, and he now wants them back. So as Pharaoh's men come to take them back, they literally are face-to-face with this huge obstacle of water, and God actually parts the Red Sea in half so that they may walk across, and they said like on dry ground, not a big muddy mess like it would be. God actually parts the water, dries it. They walk across, they come out the other side. At that time, all of Pharaoh's men come in after them, and the waters crash down, killing all of Pharaoh's men. After all of this, they get out in the wilderness, and they say, man, I just wish I was back. <sighs> making temples because I got food every day and there was bread and there was lamb. Can you imagine this? All these things these guys have just seen and they're literally like, man, I just wish I was back because it's like us. I could use a burrito right now. (laughs) Seriously. And what's crazy about it is this, is God had just done all these insane miracles, right? I mean, those are wild. I don't know if you guys have heard them before or if you haven't, but those are some crazy miracles that God did. So do you think God had to take and say, oh, okay, yeah, here's some food? No. God could have said, you know what, why don't you little so-and-so just toughen up, you know what I'm saying? I just took you out of Pharaoh's grasp, brought you out of here. I had to kill all these firstborn sons. I had to take you across the river, and now you're complaining about food? Toughen up. If you have to eat cactus for the next 60 years, that's, that's part of your life, right? That's probably what I would have said in our reality. I'd have been like, did you just see what I just did? How dare you? But what's crazy about this, what's amazing about this, is just what I was saying, is that for some reason, God thinks that we're worth his care. Even after all of this, they say, well, we want food. We're hungry. And instead of God getting angry and punishing them, God says, all right, I'll give you food. And he says, I'll bring quail in at night. 
don't you have to work? They'll just come and land in your, <laughs> land in your camp. That's one of they just walked out and just kind of booted one, picked it up and ate it for dinner. It says, in the morning, the dew fell, and as the dew subsided, there was this flaky residue they'd come bring together, and they'd make bread out of it. That's a pretty sweet food system, isn't it? Free. Free. You don't have to fight for nothing. I mean, dumb quail just fall in front of your door, and you literally walk out of your house. Can you imagine in the morning? You just walk out of your house and just scoop some bread into a pan, take it back inside, and you can make your meal. God puts out this provision. Like I said, God loves to do this. God's proved it time and time again that he wants to prove his super spiritual, super high and mighty love on such a basic way that you can see daily. God wants to do this, and he does it, and you are worth his care. We see this. We see this right in this story. Not only that, but um, we see this again later on. I wanted to show you kind of two ends of the spectrum. Then again in Mark, we see Jesus Christ comes. Jesus Christ, obviously God's son. He comes, the embodiment of all of Christ's, I mean, all of God's, um, all of God's spirit. He comes in Mark 6, 34 through 44. I will read this to you again. We see another perfect example of this. Once again, it's in the aspect of food. And God decides to basically give instead of just, you know, saying too bad. It says, when Jesus arrived, he saw this huge crowd. At the sight of them, his heart broke. Like sheep with no shepherd they were. He went right to work teaching them. When his disciples thought this had gone on long enough, it was now quite late in the day, they interrupted. We are a long way out in the country, and it's very late. Pronounce a benediction and send these folks off so they can get some supper. Jesus said, you do it. Fix supper for them. They replied, are you serious? You want us to go spend a fortune on food for their supper? But he was quite serious. How many loaves of bread do you have? Take an inventory. It didn't take long. Five, they said, plus two fish. Jesus got them all, sat them down in groups of 50 or 100. They looked like a patchwork quilt of wildflowers spread out on the green grass. He took the five loaves and two fish, lifted his face to heaven in prayer, blessed, broke, and gave the bread to the disciples. And the disciples, in turn, gave it to the people. He did the same with the fish. They all ate their fill. The disciples gathered 12 baskets of leftovers. More than 5,000 were at this supper. So there's this huge crowd. Huge crowd that comes to see Jesus Christ. Before this, we actually see, kind of cool, Jesus was actually trying to get away from the crowds at this point. Um, they were just ministering for a long time. And Jesus said, man, he says, you guys look tired. I'm tired. Why don't we go ahead and why don't we go to a, place, a quiet place? But, um, you know, when Jesus was preaching, people were pretty stoked about it. He says, we're going to go ahead, and people ran and caught up with him. And by the time he landed at this place that was supposed to be a quiet place, there was like 5,000 people there waiting to hear from him. And instead of walking past him, it says his heart broke, and he started to talk to him about what, you know, what salvation was. And uh, we get this amazing picture once again. See, Jesus is talking all about what God's provision is for this life of sin. You know, Jesus' message, he was basically speaking about the fact the end is near, you need to repent from your sins. And he's talking about God's provision in this means. And then he demonstrates it in the very same just a few minutes after that. And he says, why don't you send these guys home? And he could have just said, you're right. All right, we'll talk about this later. You guys go home and you get some food. But he says instead, no, you guys go ahead and do it. And instead, he decides to feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. A miracle, basically. Then again, after we just read about dumb quail 
and bread that falls from the sky. It doesn't seem that impossible, does it? It doesn't seem that impossible at all. Like I said, um, God decided to touch people in a very, very basic way to show his care. Very, very easy. I'm hungry. My stomach hurts. God does something, and I now feel full. You can grasp that. You can tangibly feel that in yourself. Now, here's the truth. Believe it or not, every single person on this earth is worth his care. Every single one of them. Matthew 5.45 says this. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless, the good and bad, the nice and the nasty. It says that God's blessings don't just fall on the people who make him happy. It says that God's blessings falls on everyone. People who love him, people who hate him, people who literally curse God, God still gives blessings to. Really, people who curse God. God still blesses. Not only that, but it says in Matthew 6, 8, your father knows what you need before you even ask him. So not only does God bless all these people, but God literally knows the needs of every single person on this earth. Every one of you guys in this room. Everyone around this earth. God already knows what they need. He blesses some people who don't even care about him. That just seems crazy to me, doesn't it? I can't even imagine that. He pours out this favor on people who do not know him and do not care to know him. The, the way that I could only, only try to picture it and try to show you is this. is a dad who has two sons, one who is absolutely perfect, loves him, wants to be just like him, everything like that, and one son who is a complete screw-up, hates his dad, doesn't care to be there, can't stand him, but the dad still puts a roof over both their houses. He still puts food on the table for both of their mouths. He still pays the car insurance for both of them. He still takes care of them, even though one loves him and one can't stand him. Because he's their father, and because he still cares for them. Even if he spits in his face and hurts his heart, every single night when his dad tells him I love him and, his dad, and his, the boy tells him F you, he still tells him I love you every single night. Because it doesn't change the fact of his love. No matter how many times that kid hurts his feelings, he still loves him. So like I said, not only that, but in Matthew 6, 8, we get this insane picture. It says that it's talking about these people who, who do these long prayers to try to get God to answer it. And he says, you don't even have to do that because God already knows what you're going to pray before you pray it. God already knows what you're going to pray even if you don't pray it. He already understands what our needs is. Now, when I think about this, I see proof of the fact that God really cares for us. Would you take the time to really try to learn what somebody needs, to try to learn about somebody, to try to really understand who they are and what they need to make their life happy if you didn't care about them? You know, I mean, God is God. He could just decide to say, I'm only going to pay attention to people who like me. I'm only going to pay attention to these certain people. But it says the fact that he actually understands all of us he knows what we need before we even say it. Um, this is a God of care. I mean, that's a proof of a God of care that he already knows what my heart is before I even say it. You know, there's very few people in this world who even care to know what I want to tell them I need, let alone someone who wants to know what I need, even if I don't verbalize it. 
You know what I mean? You just don't get that. But he's such a God of care. God knows that there are hard times, and there are really hard times in each of our lives. And he wants to give us his care in all of these circumstances, not just in the basic, like I just said about, about food. But God wants to be our caregiver in all these circumstances, in all these hard times. I know for a fact right now that there are people in this audience, people who are listening to this podcast, who if it wasn't for the fact that there are other people around them would probably be in tears at this moment. It wasn't for the fact that other people are watching them, thinking about them if they started crying and they're wondering what would people think, that really they just kind of feel right now like I'd rather just be crying. There are probably people in this room right now who are at the point where they say, man, I'm just not happy. I just really don't feel like it at all. Maybe they wouldn't say that because obviously they're surrounded by people again. There are people who are probably in this audience right now who said, I really kind of feel like I'm coming up at just the end of my rope and I really don't know what to do anymore. This is too hard. This is too stressful. This really hurts. I don't even know what to do anymore. I know there's people like that because all of us face it. There are people who are literally at the point where they think there's nothing left in me. I just feel like there's nothing even left, kind of feeling worthless. The truth is is that very few people are going to actually even care when you're at that point. That's the truth of what this world is. If you can get to that point, that's super low, that's super painful, and really, very few people are going to even care. Even if you mentioned it to them, it doesn't affect them, so they don't really even care to be part of it. They just, that's really sad. And they'd walk away and start thinking about what they're going to eat for dinner. Really don't care whatsoever. And that's just the truth of what this world has really brought about. Like I said, this, this feeling of worthlessness. Um, but I want to read you this. This is what God says about that time. What we're saying about God's care. And it's actually in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. And I want to read it to you in the NIV, and then I want to read it to you in the message as well. It says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The message says this, really easy to understand. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So what God says is when all this pain and strife comes in your life, all these hard times, is he saying, man, just come and be with me because I want to take care of all that. All the people kind of push you away when you say that. They're like, whoa, didn't need to know that much. God's saying, when all that happens, I want you to come to me because I'll show you a real rest. I'll show you a real sanctuary. I know this actually from personal experience, um, that God is there to give us comfort, and God is there to help us out in times that are really hard. There was a time a while back, and it was actually, it's about a year ago, because I just re-preached that garden message. It was a little while after that. We had a night that we had garden time. We said for an hour, we were just going to go wherever else we wanted in the church and focus on God. 
and I was having an extremely bad week, extremely bad week, where I just kind of felt down. I felt like nothing was worthing, working, nothing was worth anything. And really, when I sat down, it was right up here by this by this altar. I sat down and I told God, seriously, I don't even feel like talking right now. I'm just mad, and I'm in pain, and I'm just out of it. And what happened for an hour is that I didn't say a word to God, and God didn't say a word to me, but I felt his spirit wrap around me like a hug from a father. And I sat there in it, and I didn't say anything to him. But God was there just to basically let me feel the fact, it wasn't even a verbal communication, that everything was going to be okay because he wasn't somewhere else. He was right there next to me. It wasn't the fact that I was praying and he's up in heaven somewhere, but for an hour I felt his presence sit next to me and say, I'm right here with you. I'm here. You can keep on going. Just that feeling that there's something else there, and that was what I needed at that time. When I get up after an hour, I think I shared it that night, as I said, it just felt like God just gave me a hug. I didn't talk to him, and he didn't talk to me, but I was just with his spirit. And that was awesome. God did that because I was at a time of pain and he wanted to be there, just like this, this verse says. He says, you want a real rest? Come find me, because I'll give you that real rest. And that's what he gave me in that situation and what he wants to give every one of us. He's going to care for you when others don't. He wants to help. Um, and if you don't believe me, then maybe you'll actually just believe the Bible itself. It says in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all of your anxiety on him. Because he cares for you. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You are worth his care. Like I said, it says he cares for you. And he wants you to cast this anxiety on him and just trust in him that it's going to work out. Stop worrying about it yourself. That verse that I read a while back, it says that you can just relax. Stop worrying about getting so you can get what God is giving. It's kind of deep, isn't it? Stop worrying about all the things you have to do so that God can just do it. Take care of it. He knows that he can help. He has the power. And he wants to do it. I know I've told you this story before, but it reminded me of Jesus Christ in the temple. And there's this man who has a shriveled arm. One that it says he's had for pretty much ever. The shriveled arm that he can't work with. And Jesus Christ knows that people are waiting to condemn him when he heals this man because it is the Sabbath. And you can't do anything in the Sabbath by the old law. And he brings this man up, and he knows that all these people are just waiting. And they, they are. All, of his, all the people who are against him are standing in their little posse saying, all right, this is where we'll get him. We'll watch. And when he heals this man, we'll know that he's breaking the Sabbath and we can go tell on him. But Jesus Christ knows that this is what's going on. And he stands this man up, and he says, you tell me what's right. He says, to do good on this day or to do evil on the Sabbath. Because it says in the Bible that if we know what's right to do and we don't do it, that's a sin. And Jesus Christ knew that he could heal this man. He could have turned around because it would have been about a law, but that would have been wrong. He couldn't do it. He had to help this man because he knew he could and he wanted to. He wanted to show him this care. And the people say nothing because they're just a bunch of scared pansies. And he says, you know what? He's just infuriated, and he says, stretch out your hand. And he healed this man, and he took away this pain, and he took away all these problems in this man's, lives, this man's life because he cared about him. He wouldn't have let him go. He couldn't have. Now, I know earlier I mentioned that all people, all people in this world 
are part of God's blessings. They receive his care in one way or another, and that's true, but there's more to this story. There's more to that than I'm saying. Um, to receive all of what God wants to give you in care, to receive all of this crazy care that I've been talking about, you have to do some things for God. Philippians 4.19 says this, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now this is a beautiful promise. Um, God truly wants to show us his care. He says that he will be in all of our needs. All of them. Take care of every one of our needs to show us his care. This is big. I know it's a joke, but there's some girls out here are thinking, man, that's the kind of guy I'm looking for, right? Got to take care of all my needs. I don't even have to work. I don't have to do any of that. He'll just take care of me. I'll just take care of myself, right? Hoping for a guy like that someday. The prophet mentions that God's going to provide for all of your needs. Dot, dot, dot. In Christ Jesus. Did you notice that when it said it? It says he'll provide for all of your needs to the glorious riches in Christ Jesus at the end. What is it saying? It's saying that if you want this type of explosive, contagious, crazy care, you have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it's saying. Is that you might get some of this care, but without Jesus Christ, you will not receive that type of care. Now, I've told the Jesus message, the whole entire idea of it, hundred times, but I'll tell you it again. The whole message is the fact that sin separates us from God. The wages of sin is death. And all of us have sinned and fallen short of what God planned for us. So what God says is then what, what you receive is, is death. We are all have earned hell, have earned death. But then Jesus Christ came to this earth, and he took and paid for every one of my sins on that cross, so that if I believe in him when I die, I have no sin on me because Jesus already took it all. He took all my sins to the cross. So when I die and I go to heaven, even though I'm not perfect at all, God sees me through this Jesus filter and he sees that I am perfect. And I enter into eternity with him. The crazy thing is really I enter that relationship immediately after I accept Jesus Christ into my heart. I say, Lord, you know, Jesus Christ, I want you to be the Lord of my life. And that starts now, not just after I die. What it's saying is that if I do this, I can receive all of this crazy care that God's talking about. In those previous ones that I had mentioned, if you really look over them, it mentions some of the times with this care that there are stipulations that you need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You read through the Bible about God's care, it mentions about the fact that you have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because otherwise you're not in communication with God. That's the same thing. Think about this, okay? Who is easier to help? Someone who you see on a daily basis or someone who lives halfway across the world that you see like once a year? It's easier to help the person who you see on a daily basis, isn't it? In their daily life? Help them out in the small things, in the hard things? God's saying is if you have a relationship with me, I can access you and help you out a hundredfold compared to what I can do when you're away from me. It's hard then. You know, you don't, you don't give me the right to help you out. So that's really what it's saying is that, is that you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. God wants to tell you that you are worth his care. He said it time and time again in his word 
Let me tell you, look through the Bible, and there is one after another, after another. Psalms, Galatians, all these different places. Isaiah, where it talks about God's care. It talks about it being poured out on us, and him showing us mercy, and him taking care of us, even in the most basic things, like I just said. Time and time again, God actually wants to do this. He wants to have this happen. That's crazy. If you're saying that you want this, but you haven't got it yet, that's cool. Maybe the reason why is that you haven't started a real relationship with Jesus Christ yet. You say, I want this care, but I just haven't received it. Maybe you don't really have a relationship with Jesus Christ yet. Maybe that's why you haven't experienced this explosive uh, care that he wants to give you. Maybe you need to talk to Jesus Christ. If that's so, come talk to me. Come talk to someone who knows about it. Let them talk to you about who Jesus Christ is and what it means to have a relationship with him. Some of you guys say, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ but I don't seem to receive this care. I don't understand what the problem is. The Bible says that you don't get because you don't ask. That's what it says about believers. And it says even when you do ask, you ask with wrong motives. So you need to look at why aren't you receiving this care? Is it because you haven't even bothered to ask God for this care? Because if you don't, he's obviously not going to help you. Or is it the fact that even when you do ask, it's kind of with the wrong motives. It's just to help you out. It's not because it's something you need, but it's just kind of something that you'd like. God wants to pour out on us. We're worth God's care in his eyes. We see that over and over again. But sometimes we got to obviously take kind of a first step in that. So in this world full of cold selfishness, there is still someone who is willing to be there, still someone who is willing to care, still someone who wants to offer you that care because you're actually worth something. I want to pray with you guys. Lord, I thank you for tonight. And I do pray to you that we would just begin to see your heart. We would begin to realize how much you absolutely care for us, Lord God. I pray to you, Jesus Christ, that you would just show us, each and every one of us individually, how you've cared for us so far and how you wish to care for us in the future. I pray to you, God, that in those hard times, in those tough times, we would turn to you and to you alone. And I pray to you, Jesus Christ, that you would just be glorified through absolutely everything that we do on this earth. I thank you, Jesus Christ, for what you're going to work inside of our hearts. Let this go out with us. Don't let us stop at these doors. I thank you, Jesus Christ. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. One last thing. You're worth more than many sparrows.